uh, we wouldn't have much of a reason to gather if it wasn't for that name. Uh, as I say week after week, the name above every name, the name in which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Um, and I'm thankful for ever, having a reason to do this week in and week out. Um, it is, uh, it's weird, days like this, where you call it pastor appreciation, it's a, it's kind of a weird feeling for me. I, I you know, I identify with the, the, the servanthood type of thing and what I'm supposed to be doing for Jesus, but then having the appreciation is kind of an awkward feeling for me. But uh, I do want to start out with some appreciation, um, not for me, but for, for what you saw uh, out in the parking lot. So if we can get the, uh, the parking lot picture up. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but then again, I kind of do uh, want to put people on the spot. If you had anything at all to do uh, with the with the manual labor that went into this, if you'd stand up, I'd appreciate it. Terry? <laughs> all right. Uh, Ed will speak more about how many... Uh, how many hours went into that collectively uh, tomorrow at the meeting, but it was a lot of hours in the hundreds. Um, and, and so we, we saved a, a ton of money doing that. I just, uh, uh, in, in awe of how quickly it came together. At times it seemed like it wouldn't ever get done, but then other times I'm like, I couldn't, I was wowed by how much progress was made uh, each week when I come here. And, and seeing the lines painted uh, this week, I, I was driving around like a kid in a candy shop deciding which spot I wanted to pick. <laughs> so I parked in between, I parked over the line on one. So I, just kidding, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Uh, but I appreciate each and every person that was involved in that, whether financially or physically. Um, your your efforts do not go unnoticed or underappreciated. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Uh, also appreciated last week's service. Um, uh, just some, some weeks you just feel the, 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 the Spirit's power in the place where you are, and you just kind of stand back and, and be in awe of what uh, God does. Uh, and uh, the, the droves of people that came forward to uh, write down, scratch down a struggle, a hurt, a hang-up that you had on a card and leave it at the throne. And I pray that this week you were actually able to leave that hurt, that hang-up, that difficulty uh, at uh, the altar last week. And uh, I thank, I'm thankful for your obedience in coming forward. I know for some people that's a very difficult thing. You're not, you're not, you don't have a public persona. You don't like to do things in front of people. Um, Sometimes it does all that the person sitting next to you needs to see to see you come forward uh, and do something like that. So I, I appreciate you being obedient to the Spirit on that. Uh, also appreciated the opportunity last week to just sit in the quiet of an empty building uh, and pray through all these cards. Twenty-some cards came in. Uh, and to pray through each one of them. And i, I got to say that as I prayed through them, uh, some of them were heavy. To know week in and week out, each of you gather here this morning with those sorts of weights that you're carrying around. Uh, I want to be the kind of pastor that helps you carry those. But, but more than that, I want to help point to the person that will say, you don't have to carry it anymore. And we want to make much of him. Worthy is his name. Because uh, he can give you freedom from those things that are hanging you up uh, this morning. Each card represented some difficult circumstance or some difficult thing that you're going through. And it's through difficult circumstances that we see spiritual growth take place. So I don't want to minimize the uh, what God might be doing for you, in you, and through you, bringing you through a difficult situation. We talked about some of that this morning in our life group. Uh, that God brings us to things not just for the sake of getting through them, but so that we'll grow spiritually through them. I would say further, it's not just or even primarily about the victory over the thing that you're struggling with, but what happens in you as you go through it. 
You know, some people like to believe that when you make Jesus king of your life, you, you come to Jesus and say, you're the Lord of my life, that everything's going to be fine. But then why isn't it? Let me suggest to you that once you've put your name on that dotted line and said, Jesus is king, you just enlisted in the army of the Lord. You weren't dangerous before and you are now. And so when the enemy doesn't see you as dangerous, he doesn't have to worry about you. But when you decided to make Jesus king of your life, he said, now you're a threat. Now you're a problem. And now I'm going to try to deal with you. Uh, I thank God that greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And uh, I'm thankful for that. But uh, making Jesus king of your life doesn't mean that there won't be difficulties. What it means instead is that you won't face those difficulties alone. Can we get the next picture up, please? I saw a, uh, a helpful uh, picture online this week. When you're praying, uh, what praying feels like sometimes is you're sitting in a room and you're just praying, almost talking to the wall itself, and, and, and that's all you're hearing. Uh, that's what praying feels like sometimes. But you see, the next, pic- the next picture is, uh, is Jesus' arms interlocked with yours, interceding for you on your behalf. And that's what praying is actually like. And so you're not going through the difficulty you walked in here with. You're not going through a difficulty alone. You're going through a difficulty with that Lord and Savior. It's one of the many benefits of being a child of God. What loving parent lets their child go through things alone? Now, there is some, uh, some benefit to uh, letting your children uh, get on their own a little bit. But you're always right there to swoop in and pick them up if, if things get bad. How much more God the Father? One of the many benefits of being an heir. He's fighting our battles. Uh, Paul this morning continues his foray into the theme that we continue in chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Uh, Our text today is going to be Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. The title of the message this morning, Moving Forward by Going Backwards. Moving Forward by Going Backwards. Uh, Paul's been at pains to say not to go back to the elementary ways, not to go back to elemental ways, not to go back to those Previous ways for the Jews that wanted to hang on to their traditions. They wanted to hang on to the old law and and what it meant to them. The rituals and their seasons and their months. But for the Gentile converts, those Gentile converts to Christianity, moving backward was moving forward because the first thing they knew about God, they knew through what Paul taught them. And when he came and brought the gospel, they had departed from that. This whole basis of the letter that we're in right now is they had departed from the basis of the truth of the gospel as originally proclaimed by Paul in the churches at Galatia when he founded them. And so for them, moving backward was moving forward. We in our society seem to have an obsession with progress, don't we? Progress for the sake of progress. Moveon.org, change.org. It's perplexing to me. That we so obsess over progress. Well, when you find a map and you look for the X on the map, when you get to the X, what do you do? You stop. You found what you were looking for. You stop on the X. You don't keep moving for the sake of moving. If you move any more past the X, you're now moving away from the thing that you're looking for. We are so obsessed with progress. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. You probably already heard me say it three or four times. Let's get that quote up there. We all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. So we have this idea that we always have to move forward, always have to move on, always have to change, always have to progress. But the person that's found truth, if they move from that X, 
They move past truth. They move away from truth. And the most progressive person at that point, the most progressive person at the point, it says, uh, I need to go back to where I started. Because it was there that I found the axe. It was there that I found truth. And for the Galatian church, mostly Gentile believers, they had moved off the X. They had moved away. They had, they had adopted traditions and things that were not required of them. And they moved away from the X. And Paul was calling them back to the X. Move backwards so you can move forward. Who hasn't been on an interstate and, and uh, Google Maps failed you? Or you failed to listen to Google Maps, one or the other. But you miss your exit. What is the next thing you're looking to do? Turn around. Because you know this intuitively. You know that I'm probably not going to find another exit that will get me where I'm going. Least of all, I know the directions that I had make me start back there. And so if I start from a new place, now I have to find my way again. And Paul's saying, you need to turn that ship around. You had it right the first time. Go back to the X. Go back to where you started. Go back to the gospel as I preached it to you. There's freedom in that gospel. There's bondage, there's enslavement, there's uh, all sorts of baggage that comes along with the gospel, plus some stuff, which of us feels sufficient week in and week out to do things on our own. I was just talking this morning in our life group about how uh, so many times I get victory on Sunday, and I see people coming forward to leave burdens at the altar. I see people uh, embracing and praying over one another. And then on Monday I let my guard down, and work happens. Right, Greg? Work happens. And if Monday had a face, it's a face only a mother could love. Uh, but so often, who can, who can be there with me? Uh, you, you get on a spiritual high on Sunday, and then Monday comes around, and you come crashing down. You moved off the X. You took off your spiritual armor. You felt safe. You felt maybe for a, mo- a moment I can just kind of bide my time and just glide through this. And the enemy's been waiting for you. You made yourself dangerous when you signed on that dotted line and said, Jesus is king, therefore Caesar is not. Therefore, Satan is not. If Jesus is king, he can. there's only room enough for one on that throne. And Jesus is occupying the entire seat. You guys got me getting carried away here. So why don't we just go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for each and every blessing you send our way. Lord, each day that the sun rises and sets, we have reason to uh, thank you. We have reason to, Lord, uh, bless your name. And, uh, Lord, we want to do that this morning. We want to make you famous. We want to make much of you. Lord, that those that maybe haven't made you king and lord of their life would do so this morning. And stop dabbling in this spirituality. Stop dabbling in Christianity. Stop dabbling in dancing around. But, Lord... Be moved by your spirit to make a decision today. A decision that won't change when we walk out these doors, but Lord, we begin to be the beginning of a life given to you. Because Lord, we know that no greater life is lived than the one that's lived in your will, for your purposes, for your kingdom. Lord, we want to see your kingdom explode on the scene here in Braidwood. And we are believing you for that. We know that you want that more than we do. Help us to be willing and faithful vessels as we share your gospel, share your good news, seek to honor you by building your kingdom. Lord, be great where I am small this morning. 
and bring this message home to each and every person that's here this morning in whatever particular way they need it. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So our text again is X, not X. I just got done praying. Yeah, right. That was that, that was a long. It was almost two years. I I preached through the book of Acts. So uh, forgive me for that. I haven't done this the whole time. I don't think we're in Galatians, right? We're in Galatians. Somebody say we're in Galatians, Pastor. All right. What chapter? Chapter four. All right. Galatians chapter four, verses eight through twenty. Paul starts off, or continues rather, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You were enslaved. You were not free. You felt free, but you were not. You felt free to do whatever you wanted, but you were not. You, you were free to do displeasing things. You were free to do things that didn't honor God, but you were not free in the freest of senses, which is to do exactly what you were called in this life to do. Uh, I've said in the past that there's no such thing as standing still spiritually. You can't do it. It's it's like standing in the ocean facing away from the shore and saying, I'm just going to stand here still. I'm not going to move. And give it a half an hour. What happens? You drift further and further and further and further away. If you think you're standing still spiritually, you are moving behind. You're moving backwards. You're not progressing, you are regressing. There's no such thing as standing still. There's also no such thing as neutral or neutrality. When it comes to the things of God, you are either on his team or you are not. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus himself, I hope I can quote him. You can't serve two masters. You're serving one right now, and you walked in the door either serving Jesus as king or the world. If you think you're divided, if you think you've compartmentalized your life well enough, to divide that up and say, Jesus, you can have this portion. You can have Sunday morning between the hours of 9 and noon. I get the rest of the week. He says, I don't want that. I want every bit of you. From the time your feet hit the floor in the morning to the time you finally give in to sleep at night. And that's given in for me. I don't, I don't like to sleep. so uh, I usually fall asleep with a laptop in my lap or something. I'm fighting Satan, trying to, until I fall asleep. God says, you just need to, you just need to rest a little bit. But um, there is no neutrality. We are either serving in the service of the king or we are serving in the service of the prince of the power of the air. Um, you can't serve two masters. If we haven't chosen the God that Paul preached to the Galatians, then by default, we've chosen to be enslaved to these things that by nature are not gods. They might come in and tell you that they are. And they might even put on a good song and dance for you. A convincing song and dance. But they are not by nature gods. Cannot be. Uh, This line, Paul is a master of speaking in nuanced language to specific things in the culture He's brilliant. If you haven't studied Paul more than surface level, just reading the text, you're missing a wealth of information below the surface. 
Uh, Paul is at once speaking both to the pagan roots of the Gentile Christians. So for them, their backwards backwards would be going back to the pantheon of gods they served. The Greek or Roman gods. That panoply of idols that could do nothing. Or speaking to the Jews, those Judaizers, those influencers that would have them take on more Jewish appearance. Speaking to the elementary things. But here he's speaking to the pagan roots of the Gentile converts. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But, verse 9, now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul corrects himself here. He says, you have come to know God. And everything we know about God, even knowing God, is always in part. Paul says, we see now in part, but then face to face. We're like looking through a glass darkly. We can't see the whole picture. We can only see bits and pieces as he reveals it to us. So the proper thing is to say to be known by God. And we've been covering this at length in our life group uh, study. It comes from the Hebrew concept or word yada, and it means an intimate knowledge of. Uh, like a wife knows her husband or a husband knows his wife. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with uh, those that call themselves his. Why do you want to turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? This works whether he's speaking to Jews who will keep wanting to go back to their traditions or to the pagan, uh, formerly pagan Gentile, now Christians, who might be tempted at times to go back to what's culturally the norm for them. Go back to the pantheon of gods that they had for every season, for every uh, everything they had a god. Why would you leave the superior to return to what you know to be inferior? And even if you temporarily wander off course, go back to where you knew you were right. You might have come in here this morning having strayed a bit. You know that spiritually you are not where you should be. And maybe coming here this morning was part of that. This might help me coming to church and being with God's people. Iron sharpens iron and that sort of thing. And you came here to get back on course. Good for you. Stay the course. But just like signing up to make Jesus king your life it makes you a threat to the enemy, so does showing up here this morning. Who here wants to be dangerous? Live a dangerous life? Amen. We don't need... We, we have, the world is full of nominal believers and things. Social activists that just share links on Facebook. So tired of that. I call it clicktivism. It's not activism. You're not acting. You're just sharing a link. Raising awareness or whatever it might be. You're not even getting in the fight. You can't rightly say you're fighting anything. If you wandered off course, it's time to go back to where you knew you were right. Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. We hear an echo of Paul's earlier words in Acts chapter... Hold on a second. Funny funny for you guys. Galatians chapter 2. Sometimes God just needs to humble somebody and say, you're not that cool. 
so <laughs> thank you, Ed. So I appreciate that. Uh, on Pastor Appreciation, he's letting me dangle a little bit. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2, where Paul had showed concern that he had not been running in vain. Who wants to run anything in vain? Who wants to do, who wants to look back at what they've spent their life doing and say it was all in vain? We want to leave a legacy behind us when we're gone that people might remember what we did, what we stood for. And Paul's saying, look, I planted these churches, but was my effort in vain because you're tearing down everything that I built up by going back to these pagan roots, going back to these Jewish roots and adding to the finished work of Christ what he's already done, what he's already finished. These days, these months, these seasons, these years hearken back to the religious calendar of Jewish, the Jewish influencers. And these again, this is written to primarily a Gentile audience who's been influenced by these Jews, these Judaizers. And it's these times on the calendar that are all supposed to point to something greater than those times on the calendar. Yet don't we sometimes, rather than worship the Creator, we worship the creation. We worship our religious affiliation. We worship our, our things that we, I show up on Sunday. I do this, I do that. I, I give to the poor. We worship our adherence to some religious platform. And we forget the God it's supposed to be pointing to. All these times and seasons and months and feasts and things on the calendar were supposed to point to something greater than the calendar itself. Traditions for the sake of tradition. I don't mind traditions, but I mind traditionalism. I, I mind seeing people elevated tradition. And some, some of our traditions, let's just be honest, aren't even in the Bible. Some of the things that we, that we do week in and week out, they're not wrong, but they're not in this book. And I've told you before, there's 1,189 chapters in this book. It's a big book. And if my job is to preach this book, and it is, and if God only wanted to teach us one thing in each chapter of this book, that's almost 1,200 things he would have me teach you. Don't come to me with your extra stuff. I got enough in here to worry about. You have enough in here to worry about. So traditions are fine, but when we elevate those to the point of traditionalism, we elevate them past the point that they're supposed to be pointing to, is Jesus. Let's not be guilty of that. Traditions for tradition's sake. Days and months and seasons and years that make you feel religious, make you feel good, make you feel holy. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, I beseech you, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Paul made a huge sacrifice to become a, a missionary to the Gentiles. He, he left his entire identity as a Jew. Everything he had grown up doing. Imagine your life's work. You come to your adulthood. You've, you've spent your whole life preparing and readying for a thing, whatever it might be. And God says, I want you to give all that up. To chase after people that don't look like that. To chase after people that don't look like you do. To chase after people that... You didn't have it even in your purview before. And now I want you to make them everything. Paul left his entire way of life behind to become all things to all people so that by all means he might win some. Are you willing to leave behind the things you feel comfortable in to reach that one? Are you willing to become all things to all people so that by all means you might win some? That you might win one? I hope the answer is yes. But Paul is begging them to see the error of their ways here. 
That's a huge concession on his whole, on his part. His whole identity goes with it. But notice his appeal here is a loving one, not a sharp rebuke. And who knows that, who believes that Paul knows how to be sharp? Yep. Sometimes I'm like, and I always have to stand like this. I don't know why. When I, when I come to it, in my head at least, really Paul? Really? You got something to say, huh? And I think, well, it's probably got something for me to hear then. So his appeal is a loving one, not a sharp rebuke, though he's capable of that, and he has done that in this letter. Verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. There's been all sorts of unhelpful speculation as to what the ailment was. Some people would point to his eyes, uh, his Damascus Road experience when he was blinded and he, and he kind of fell on the ground and he couldn't see for a few days. And they would say, that's probably his eyes are now dim, he can't see well. And that's probably the thorn in his flesh, corresponds to his letter to the Corinthians. And that may all be true, but we don't know. And so there's been all sorts of speculation about that. But whatever it was... Whatever his ailment, it brought Paul to Galatia, the churches of Galatia, and therefore he brought the gospel, the good news, to Galatia. How beautiful the feet of those that bring good news. Paul in Romans 10, quoting a passage in Isaiah. Your feet are beautiful when you bring this good news out these doors and beyond these walls. Your feet are beautiful that carry that good news. I hope that you're faithful in that. Even to the point sometimes of rubbing people the wrong way or offending them. The name of Jesus is offensive. Have you ever wondered why people get so irate, some people, at the name of Jesus? You're like, I'm just, you worship what you want, man. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. You, why are you so mad when I say Jesus? It's like you're saying, I don't believe in God and I hate him. How silly does that sound? I don't believe in a thing, yet I hate that thing. But we all have to do something with the name of Jesus. And so he's an offense to some, but we need to be those feet, those beautiful feet that are carrying the good news. And whatever the ailment was, it took Paul off his original intended course and put him on a detour. Don't despise the detours in life that God puts you on. You say that again. Do not despise the detours in life that God puts you on. You may have had it all mapped out. You may have all had it all planned out. Good for you. I think we should be good stewards of our time. I think we should plan some things. But... When God takes us off that course, you say, okay, God, because you are God and I am not. Don't despise the detours in life that God puts you on. We walk by faith and not by sight. A personal example, I came to the, my place of employment, and my uh, friend and colleague Greg knows this story well. But I came to Dresden, a nuclear plant, on some level even recruited to come there. There's two sites that were willing to hire me, and, and uh, the site that wanted me the most, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go there to Dresden uh, to be a training instructor. A job, the first job I've ever done where I felt like I was good at it the first time I did it. And then three, four short months later, I was working for a contractor at the time, and, and uh, three, four short months later, Exxon decided to fire their contractor, Wackenhut, and I lost my training job. The first job I felt good at from the get-go, and I said, God, why? Why would you bring me to a place I felt this was you leading? And now this whole edifice is crumbling around me. I spent the next seven years. I know how Jacob felt. Seven years working to get that job back. But during that time, 
In my many prayers between leaving my house and going to work, I prayed over what it was that God had me to do. And time and time again, one grown man after another would come to me crying, needing some spiritual encouragement, needing some life-giving word. And they'd come to me. Men I would not ever have talked to if I stayed in the classroom. I never would have met if I stayed in the classroom. One in particular. By the name of Dan Warren. Uh, Dan had no way of knowing this, nor did I. Uh, that shortly after we would meet, not, not many years after, uh, after starting to work together, uh, I was very vocal about my faith. And, uh, and he was playing devil's advocate to some degree, not really buying it all. And I gave him a book, many of you have probably read or at least heard about, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And I gave him this book, it's 100 pages long, you could read it in an afternoon if you wanted to. And I said, I want you to read this book and tell me what you think of Jesus at the end of it. We didn't have an opportunity to talk again. Dan was killed by his girlfriend in a, in a uh, murder-suicide that took the lives of all of her children and herself as well. And I searched his Facebook page for some inkling that he had given his life to Jesus, that he had made a decision for Jesus. And it was there that I found under his religious views. I believe in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, it didn't matter how many years I was stuck in a back shift, working midnight, 12-hour shifts. Was one person's soul worth it? Absolutely. Do not despise the detours that God has you on right now. It may not be your plan A, your plan B, your plan C. But it's God's plan A. And that beats all of your plans that you have put together. So many times God took a stubborn guy like me, hard-headed guy, and said, yeah, but you're hard-headed in, in even your faith. I need that on the back shift at Dresden for the next seven years. We saw people come to Jesus uh, quite often, it was, a, it was just a kind of a normal thing. And uh, it was an obedience to that. What do you have for me? Even though I was reluctant, God blesses us even in, in our stubbornness and even our, in our reluctance to obey, God still blesses us. So don't despise those detours. That section wasn't supposed to be that long, but bear with me. But these Galatians were gracious to hear their spiritual father, Paul, and not bothered or inconvenienced by his illness. I think modern society could learn a lot from this situation. People not being bothered by the elderly, those that are uh, have trouble physically, the illnesses, things like that. How many elderly parents languish in a nursing home with infrequent visits from their children after they've spent their whole lives caring for you?
These Galatians recognize the blessing that was theirs to receive Paul and his message. And he's asking, he's begging them to remember that. Remember what I meant to you when I brought this good news the first time. Don't forget that. Don't despise that. Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And this is what kind of leads a lot of people to think this. Maybe he's talking about his eyes. He's talking about his poor eyesight. They, they would have gouged out even their eyes if it would help him, him in some way. We don't need to come that far. It could mean that. But and I'm not trying to, 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 if that's your interpretation, I'm not trying to change that. It just isn't there plain in the text. And, and so what they are saying, in effect, if they're not saying any of that, what they are saying is like, your eyesight is the most precious thing to you, is it not? I mean, who... Who has, that has once seen can bear the idea of not seeing again. And so the thing the most precious to them, he says, you were willing to gouge your eyes out if it would help me in any way. That's the kind of love that you had for me. He has an open line with them. He appeals to them lovingly, as I said. Contrast that with his earlier rebuke of them, O foolish Galatians, which in some translations, O idiot Galatians. So Paul can be rough, he can be sharp, he can be, he can be difficult with his words, but he comes back as a, in a, with a paternal instinct of a loving father. He says, but I want you to remember where we started. You would have given your eyes to me if I, if I had needed them. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? There's another quote that I love by William Barclay, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite commentators. And he says this, who will tell you the truth? Two people in this world will tell you the truth. An enemy who, lo- who hates you bitterly and a friend who loves you dearly. Everyone else will give you pat answers and uh, mealy mouth sort of uh, half-truths, what they think that you want to hear. But an enemy that hates you bitterly and a friend that loves you dearly, they will tell you the truth. They've got nothing to lose. And so he says, he appeals to them in the truth. Have I then become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs says. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Don't be flattered by people that are just trying to flatter you. They said in Life Group this morning, I'd rather a hard truth than an easy lie any day of the week. Verse 17, they make much of you. They flatter you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Somebody say with me, Paul, you're confusing. Paul, you're confusing. Can we just agree that Paul sometimes says things like, just be more straightforward, dude. Say it in English. He didn't speak in English. Um, but he's had some confusing ways. My job is to try to make this make more sense to you, so let me try to go ahead and do that. Um, the wording is a bit confusing. But the meaning, I think, is fairly simple. They're trying to win them over with flattery. They're trying to win them over with flattery to the Jewish ways and then subject them to themselves and to those Jewish ways and establish some sort of spiritual hierarchy wherein they are the elite ones. They're at the top looking down at those that are not yet quite what they are. You see, the Jews kind of liked that, being special, being different, being set apart. They liked that because it made them better than. It made them more than. And Jesus came to wipe that all clear and make the playing field level. 
Essentially what they were saying is, we want you to look like us rather than look like Jesus. I tell people straight from the get-go, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm telling you right now. At some point in time, I am going to disappoint you. Don't look to me. Except as I look to Jesus and point to him. Because none of us will ever be disappointed in Jesus. We will disappoint each other. But if we are evangelizing, if we are out telling the world about Jesus to try to make them look more like us, our traditions, our baggage, our religious legalism, our things that we've collected along the way that we think are prim and proper. He's not asking them to look like you. He wants them to look much better. Amen? They wanted to divide where Jesus sought to unite. Create a spiritual caste system, if you will. Verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We have proof of his affectionate appeal rather than his harsh criticism. He has a parental concern, a fatherly concern for them. Anyone who has had a child in trouble, a prodigal, one that's walked away, wandered away, who hasn't felt that anguish in your heart for a wayward child, and what you wouldn't give to bring them back. This is Paul's heart for the churches at Galatia. This is God's heart for you if you're in that situation now. I would submit to you there's no greater anguish than that. And Paul will have no rest until he sees that they have conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 That is the purpose of their salvation and their sanctification to ever and always conform more and more to the image of God. To look more and more like Christ. Paul wraps up this section in verse 20 with I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. He is one of my favorite words, verklempt. I don't know why I like that word so much, but he's overcome with emotion. He, it's like a parent just throws her hands up and says, what am I going to do with you? I've said everything I need to say. I've spoken all the wisdom I know to speak to you, and you're still wandering off. You're still getting away from center. You're still walking away from the X. You're still walking away from the path that God has for you. How do I get you back to the X? How do I get you back to that road? I'm perplexed about you. Like a parent who throws her hands up. He wants to have reason to change his tone. And he's concerned that in the end when he sends this cold hard letter that they're not going to hear. How many people have had their meaning lost in the translation of a text? Anybody been guilty guilty of doing that and also guilty of interpreting wrongly perhaps? should give each other the benefit of the doubt, but he's worried that this letter is going to get to them and they're going to hear the cold, uh, hard words and nothing more. He wants them to hear his heart all over the page as a parent in concern for their child. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and finish this out. Uh, But I want to suggest to you that we are a fickle bunch. Are we not? We're a fickle bunch, just like the churches at Galatia. We're on fire one moment. And couldn't be colder the next. And sometimes we are wanting to be progressive to our own demise. Whatever is new, whatever is flashy, whatever is fashionable, whatever is new in town, we want to get fixed on that thing. 
whatever is eye-catching. We're like the proverbial dog that sees a squirrel and loses track of everything else. Anything new, anything shiny. But as Paul said, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He wants us to get back to truth. Back to the X. Value truth. And once you find it, hold on to it. It may not be fashionable. I'll just tell you it's not fashionable to hold on to old-fashioned truths. But it's needful for you, or else you're going to wander into all sorts of error. If that is you this morning, if you've been wandering off course and you recognize it, the Spirit's been talking to you, kind of driving this home to you, go back. Go back to the truth that at one point in time mattered to you a great deal. Go back to the truth that led you to the cross of Jesus. Go back to the cross that freed you from having to carry around the weight of your inability to follow the law. Go back to the loving arms of the Father and back to the plans and purposes He has for your life. Uh, Too often we do go back. But we go to the wrong back. The wrong things. Back to the hurts and the struggles. Those things that you said you surrendered last week. Past hurt. Church hurt and insecurities, pride, fear and doubt, weight, being single, relationships, marriages, forgiveness, addiction. Some of you filled these cards out last week and you left them on the altar. Literally, that's where you left the card. But metaphorically, you picked it back up and brought it back home with you. You find some comfort in carrying on that old baggage because it's familiar, it's comfortable, you're used to it. We don't want to go back to that sort of thing. We don't want to go back to a religion of good enough or self-righteousness where we think we just pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and make it okay. Back to the emptying substances that have we have substituted for God to numb the pain of the absence of God in our lives. Back to those elementary things that God wants you to graduate from. Legalism. Judgmentalism. Sectarianism. Here's one. Denominationalism. Down with all those isms. Jesus is not exalted by our isms. Leave those behind. Uh, Some of us want to go back to the good old days of yesteryear. Content to believe that there's days in the past that are yet behind you. That were the best you think it's ever going to get. And so you constantly look in the rearview mirror going back to a time and place where you think the world had it more together. You think things were right I want to suggest to you that these are the good old days. This is the day that the Lord has made. We need to rejoice and be glad in it. God is still on the throne and He's still doing work despite all the things happening around us. Despite all the things written on these cards, Jesus is still on the throne. Let's get back to believing that. And let's get back to believing that God is still alive and well in this place. Let's pray.
Lord, with everything in me, I want to make much of you and I want to believe, Lord, that you are on your throne, that you are doing some things in our lives and in the life of our church here at Ignite. Lord, let us not get sidetracked by the shiny, the new, the fashionable, the, the cry for more progressive, more progressive, more progressive. Lord, we found truth and we don't need to move off that X. Help us, Lord, to stay firmly planted where you put us. Give us a heart and love for people, Lord. And might your kingdom swell through the work done here at Ignite. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.